Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at LAist.com slash sweeps. It's Film Week on LA is 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. We've got a jam-packed edition of the program. Yeah, it's that time of year when the major films are arriving, some strong documentaries as well. We're going to hear all about them from our critics Peter Rayner of the Christian Science Monitor and Tim Cogshell of Synagogues.com and Alt Film Guide. We begin with Alexander Payne's new film, The Holdovers, written by first-time feature screenwriter David Hemmingson. The film stars Paul Giamatti, Davine Joy Randolph, and Dominic Sessa. The Holdovers is set at a New England prep boarding school, where at the end of the year, you have the holdovers, the students, and typically a faculty member assigned to look after them as the school closes down. The holdover kids are the ones left behind. And uh, in this case, you get a very crotchety Paul Giamatti as the teacher, Dominic Sessa in his first screen appearance as the student left behind. Peter, what did you think of The Holdovers? I really like this film, Larry. It's, uh, it's, it takes place in 1970, uh, and for the most part, it looks like it was... Made in 1970. I love that look that he got for it with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I mean that as a compliment. Um, you know, a lot of the movies from the 70s, uh, the best ones, were about, you know, people and not hardware, uh, unlike today. And, um, you know, so I think it, it has uh, it has a core of feeling to it that I, that I really appreciated, even when I think the film, you know, sort of uh, sags. Um, it, it's... Uh, the authenticity of of the of the setting is is not surprising, given that uh, both Alexander Payne and the screenwriter and Paul Giamatti all went to prep school. Paul Giamatti's father was the president of Yale, uh, you know. So before um, he was baseball commissioner, yes. Yeah, right. uh, so all of that really, you know, it, it comes across very strongly. Um, in the beginning, I thought that the Paul Giamatti's character was was a little bit over the top, a little too much of a kind of crotchety caricature, you know, sort of wall-eyed, uh, uh, pipe-smoking, bow-tied. Uh, you know, he, he, he calls his students uh, 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 hormonal vulgarians, uh, and he gives one of the students an F+. Plus his, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's all very funny, but, you know... His he's, corduroy, he's very, the teacher's corduroy yeah. coat, the whole... Yeah, right. Thing. I mean, you know, it's a very scroogey performance, but, yeah. then, but then it sort of uh, warms up, and you find out why he's that way. Um, and uh, it's it's marvelously acted uh, as as the best of Payne's movies often are. Uh, you know, not only Giamatti, but um, 
Uh, Dominic Sessa, as you mentioned, is, is his first first performance. I think he was cast uh, for some high school uh, acting. Yeah, his, his high school uh, teacher, I think, they just sort of did a courtesy, scoured the local high schools and said, said well, I think I may have a student for you. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those, uh, I, I hope I hope he has other roles, you know. I mean, it, yeah, he's, he's, he's much better than, I think, a one-shot wonder. Um, uh, also, the, uh, the cafeteria manager whose son, who had been a student at the school who was recently killed in Vietnam, uh, is played by um, uh, Devine Joyce uh, Joy Randolph, who's absolutely wonderful in this. To film. me, she's real center of this. This, yeah, film. she really is. Is is uh, it, you know tremendously. You know, she gives us some real uh, sass and soulfulness. Tim, I want to get you into this. So, well, what did you think of? Well, it? Yeah, this for me is foundational, Alexander Payne. So we look at this guy. Yeah, election. People people forget about that movie, Election, which was while a school teacher played by Matthew Broderick and this really irritating student that he had played by uh, Reese, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon is at so funny. Yeah. So so I can imagine that guy growing up to become this guy in this movie. And for that matter, the fellow that Paul Giamatti played in Sideways, his profession was high school. Uh, teacher. He was a high school teacher, that guy. He was an uh, expert in Merlot, <laughs> but he was also a high school teacher. There's an affinity that Alexander has for these characters and these students. And I, I, I think that, that, it, that it comes from his own life in some sort of way. The car that Paul is driving around in this film is a 1961 American Motors Ambassador, which is the exact kind of car I sort of failing college teacher would have <laughs> the, in 1971. That the driver's side door doesn't <laughs> work. It was, just, it was just all very well considered. Even the snow and the crisp, cool environment. It's almost a colorless film. And then we have the emotions. These these deeply felt emotions that we that, that, that Alexander draws out of these characters over the course of this film. And it's all quite beautiful and very moving. And to me, it's his best work since Sideways and including election. Which, hard to believe, was 20 years ago, yeah. Sideways. Yeah. Quick final thought, uh, uh, Peter. Yeah, I think it's, you know, like many of, of Payne's best movies, it's, it's about damaged people trying to fashion a new family. Uh, and, and I think it works really well. And, and I was... Um, you know, really happy to see him back in form. Uh, the holdovers from director Alexander Payne, who will join us later this hour and talk about the holdovers on Film Week. Uh, the film is rated R. It's in select theaters this week and goes into wide release November 10th. The Killer, a thriller from David Fincher, Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, Charles Parnell star in the film. It's written by Andrew Kevin Walker. Tim, what do you think of The Killer? Yeah, Andrew Kevin Walker, who, by the way, is the only credited screenwriter on seven David Fincher's seminal film. And this is a tight, very meticulously constructed film, just like that. He also wrote Sleepy Hollow and a couple other really neat things. This is what he does. And, of course, Fincher, when he's at his best, is that kind of a filmmaker. Meticulous. Tight. To me, Zodiac, the prime example. Yeah, everything accounted for. You will not get to the end of that, those movies, and think to yourself, oh, wait a minute. That didn't work. No, and that's true of this, too. The killer in this movie, the titular character, whose name we will never know, but whose aliases he gives out over the course of the movie are absolutely hysterical. Of course, you got to be 60 to get that joke, which is a little thing that Fincher is doing for you know folks of a certain age to get all those aliases that he gives. This is a guy who is a meticulous, serial, uh, not serial killer, hitman. And at the beginning of this film, we're going to be with him when he's planning this shoot. He's been waiting for a long time to pull off this hit. And he's he's telling us in voiceover exactly what it takes to do what he does, to be how he is, how you cannot care. And he, he, he goes to do this kill, and he misses. And then we get this movie that's about <laughs> accountability. 
And we're going to find out whether he believes all that crap that he was telling us in the first five minutes of this movie. This movie is really tight. It's constructed in chapters. Certain things are going to happen in each one of these chapters, and each one of them are propulsive. There's that fight scene, Pete. That fight scene. That's the best fight scene I've seen in a movie in, in, in I don't know, a long, long time. He, 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 the, 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 he, almost, he almost gets got in this long, long, long fight scene, and it's thrilling. I really, really dug this. Again, it's Fincher back in form. The killer is the film Peter. Yeah, I really liked it, and I'm not the biggest Fincher fan, uh, but it's it's apparently taken... You did taken... like Zodiac, though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I liked like Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, I hated Fight Club. Um, <laughs> yeah, everybody hated Fight Club. Uh, I didn't Club. think Social Network was all that, etc. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, he certainly has powerful powerhouse craft uh, when all, you know, cylinders are firing, which they are in this movie in a very limited but powerful way. It's, it's basically a neo-noir. It's based on a graphic novel, which I've not read, um, but uh, Michael Fassbender must have maybe 12 lines of dialogue in the whole film. There's a lot of voiceover of him, you know, intoning things like, you know, forbid empathy, you know, all, all the rules that you're supposed to follow if you're a, if you're a, uh, a top-notch hitman. And in some ways, I guess this might be sort of personal to Fincher, this film, because Fincher is such a control freak. And, and this is about a, a hitman who is absolutely in control of everything, except in the first 15 minutes, he misses a hit, and that's what sets the, the plot in motion. Uh, so, you know, he goes a little bit nuts uh, trying to make up for that. And, uh, yeah, the fight scene is it's, it's the most brutal and convincing fight scene I, I maybe have ever seen in a movie. Wow. And wow. it goes on. I mean, it's pretty powerful. Uh, and uh, Tilda Swinton has a marvelous cameo in it uh, later on in the movie. It's it's really a, a first-rate neo-noir. We're talking about The Killer from director David Fincher, Andrew Kevin Walker, screenwriter. It's rated R in select theaters now and streaming on Netflix starting November 10th. The Delinquents, a comedic drama that's written and directed by Rodrigo Moreno. Uh, the film is set in Argentina. Peter... Yeah, this is Argentina's uh, uh, submission for the Foreign Film Oscar this year. Um, the downside is this is a three-hour movie. Uh, it's it's kind of an extended heist movie. Didn't need to be that long. The first two hours, I think, are extraordinary. Uh, you know, then it sort of becomes a little bit arty and vague and vaporizes into something else. But uh, but the, the, the central plot is that uh, this is... Uh, bank employee in Argentina who, who decides that um, he's, he's going to rob the bank and, uh, and then turn himself in. But he's robbing the bank of $650,000, which is twice what he would make if he stayed in his job for 20 years. So he, <laughs> he, employs, he gets another guy at the bank to uh, hold the money for him for what he figures will be three years. With good behavior, he'll be out of prison. And then he'll have 17 years to enjoy the money that he would have had to spend 20 years earning in the bank. You know, there's a certain logic to this. Um, of course, things go wrong, uh, but it's, it's, it's remarkably well, uh, it, it, it's, it's funny, but it's also kind of, you know, tense. It's, it's, it's very inventive. Uh, there's a lot of squiggly little uh, word game things in it. The, the, the characters, uh, Moran is played by Daniel Elias, and then Roman is played by Esteban Bigliardi. They're both very good. You'll notice their names are anagrams. Uh, the, the, the head of the bank 
this old guy also plays the head of the prison. Uh, you know, I mean, it, there's a lot of funny stuff going on in this movie. I wish it hadn't been so long and so attenuated towards the end, but it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah. The Delinquents, uh, set in Buenos Aires, uh, from Argentinian director uh, Rodrigo Moreno. Tim? Yeah, because it, it, it is. It's just heist movie, and there is a heist, and it's a meticulously planned heist, but this movie isn't about the heist. And it's a prison drama, because he's going to go to prison, uh, and all kinds of harrowing things are going to happen in prison him, but this isn't a prison drama at all. It's funny. There's a bit of a romance in it. All of these things are happening in this movie as we wait these three years. Uh, so that now the guy that he gets to to do this for him is his part. Look, you're going to have to go hide this money. This is what I want you to do: is take it out in the woods, put it on this rock, this whole thing. And we almost in real time <laughs> travel with this guy as he does all of these things. He's not the brightest guy in the world. <laughs> He's very nervous. Probably should have picked somebody else <laughs> to, to, to pull off this. With. But it makes it all, all the more funny. It becomes a philosophical tone, though. It really becomes about the banality of existence. And, and if, if you're going to live a banal life, you might as well do it in a way that will pay you better in, in the end. Uh, so I'll sit in prison for three years, and then I'll have a complete life. At the end of it, Pete's right, three hours too long, three hours ten minutes, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, too long. <laughs> Uh, it, Ten minutes of credits. <laughs> it's loosely based on this thing called this film called uh, uh, Hartley Criminal. It's a 1949 film by another oh. very famous Argentine director, a guy named Hugo Frangosi, uh, which was more or less the same thing, embezzlement, and he's going to spend six years in prison. So I, I really like the concept of the film. Whack 30 minutes out of this thing, man. Come on. Yeah. The Delinquents is unrated, <laughs> uh, written and directed by Rodrigo Moreno, starring Daniel Elias. Uh, the film is at Lemley's Royal. Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. We'll at least get started on Five Nights at Freddy's, which is a mystery thriller directed by Emma Tammy and has three credited screenwriters, including Tammy. Tim? Yeah, uh, I'll start talking about this by talking about uh, Willie's Wonderland. A couple of years ago, Nick Cage movie. Nick Cage in a really, really good movie where he plays the security guard is going to go to this uh, Wonderland that's Willie's and he meets all of these animals and they're going to kill him and all kinds of... This movie is that movie only without Nick Cage. And not for nothing if you don't have Nick Cage. <laughs> What's the point of the movie? But this is a movie about a young man who's going to take this job uh, uh, at this uh, at this this place where he's going to take it. And there are all these animatronic monsters. He's got a little sister who he's taking care of. And there's a mystery and all this kind of stuff. And I'm watching this movie. I'm like, all this movie needs is Nick Cage. And it would be fine. But if you, look, if we're going to poach, folks, <laughs> that's fine. But let's poach the best part. Josh Hutcherson starring in the film with Piper Rubio, Five Nights at Freddy's is rated PG-13. It's in wide release, also streaming on the Peacock service. And uh, we also are going to hear when we come back about the documentary Sly on Sylvester Stallone. And we'll hear about the drama Priscilla, which is directed by Sofia Coppola, which tells the story through Priscilla Presley's eyes of her romance and marriage to Elvis Presley. Presley. We'll also hear about uh, the documentary from South Korea, Yellow Door, 90s Lo-Fi Film Club, which is about these clubs in Seoul, South Korea, which uh, had these VHS tapes of different cinematic masterpieces and how they became so popular. That's all coming up with our Film Week critics, Peter Rayner and Tim Cogshell. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. Just a reminder, coming up later this hour, 
Alexander Payne, the director of the new film The Holdovers that our critics thoroughly enjoyed. We'll hear what Payne has to say about his new movie, which is out this week. We'll be back in just a minute. Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center presenting American Mariachi by Jose Cruz Gonzalez. It's the 1970s and women can't be mariachis, or can they? American Mariachi is a feel-good comedy about familia, amor, and tradición that will send your heart soaring and put a bounce in your step with a wave of vibrant, infectious live music. On stage through June 9th, tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. Larry Mantle with critics Tim Cogshell and Peter Rayner. Next up, the documentary Sly on the career of Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Tom Zimney is the director of the film. Peter, what would you think of this documentary on Stallone? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty much uh, very, you know... I wouldn't say a whitewash, but it's it's very pro sly, um, <laughs> and uh, you know there's a lot of elisions and things in in his life that that don't really make it into the movie. Uh, but be that as it may, um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think he's he's a fascinating guy. What I didn't know much about was his early life in Hell's Kitchen and and his horrible father and and you know who was very abusive and and all of that that really I think shaped him. And he's very he's very uh, uh, eloquent in his way uh, about his upbringing and, and how uh, difficult it was for him to get a foothold in the acting business um, and how it worked, you know, with him doing Rocky and, and turning down all that money to hand the script to over to someone it, else. Yeah. yeah, he wanted to direct it. He wanted to, you know. Uh, so so that all is, is, is fascinating. In the post-Rocky part of the movie, uh, it tends to glide over some, you know, there's like Rocky 2, 3, 4, 5. <laughs> there isn't much or, any, or, or anything about Creed. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff in the movie that, that really isn't in there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the critic Wesley Morris, Quentin Tarantino, all are talking heads in the film. Uh, and um, But, you know, it, 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 it does point up the fact that he very much was an actor of his era, if you look at that Rocky and then the, you know, the Rambo films, uh, you know, it's a, all I want is for my country to love me as much as I love it. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of uh, sums up his Rambo persona. Um, and it, it really uh, it, I found it very touching at the end, you know, that 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 he's been through so much. Uh, and you'd say, well, the guy's on top of the world. He's he's worth a fortune. He's a major movie star. He's had comebacks, you know. But I think a lot of the the early hurts of his childhood, it's a cliche, but it's very much a part of who he is, you know. And he's very open about that. So I, I found it sort of revelatory, even though I think as a piece of 
work uh, dealing with his career, it leaves something to be desired. Mm. We're talking about the documentary from Tom Zimney, Sly on Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Right, look, I, I get this notice and it says Sly, and I'm I'm all happy because it's going to be a documentary about Sly Stone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and Pete <laughs> disabused me, uh, Tim. I think, <laughs> I, I think it's the other Sly. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Anyway, after I got over that, I realized that this is exactly as as Pete says. Now, this is a film about about Sylvester Stallone, uh, made by people who love Sylvester Stallone, John Hertzfield, the director, who's a good friend of his, who started out in the in, in the business with him 50 years ago, um, uh, his brother, Frank. All of that business about his dad, his dad who lived a very long life, well into Sly's major, major, major stardom, and was always competitive with him. Man, the things that you can learn. Uh, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters in these films. I mean, this guy, as heinous as he was, he built Sly because Sly was simply not going to fail just despite this guy. Wow. Uh, which is brother Frank. It's interesting, the people around you, how they can see your life better than you can do. Frank is way more aware of what built Sly Stallone than Sly Stallone is. He spends a good deal of the movie going through the scripts of each one of his very, very important films, actually reading the dialogue, talking about how he wrote this and why he wrote that. Uh, he also talks about Copland uh, and these moments in his career when he did try to pivot comedy, Oscar, stop or my mom will shoot. Ooh, no, no, no. <laughs> Copland, which is a movie that I liked but did not hit. But he tried. He tried. And then he talked about how, you know what? Sometimes you just got to do what you do. And he just went back to doing what he does. I talked about the Expendables, yeah, the Expendables four, came later. two or yeah. three weeks ago, I think, yeah. here. So, you know, there you go. Sly Stallone. <laughs> Sly is the documentary. It's rated R, and it's streaming on Netflix late in November. Right now, though, you get to see it at Alamo Drafthouse, downtown Los Angeles. The drama Priscilla tells the story of Priscilla Presley through her eyes in her relationship and courtship with Elvis Presley, their later marriage. Uh, Sofia Coppola is the writer-director of the film, and it's based on Priscilla Presley's memoir. Peter, what did you think of Priscilla? Not a whole lot. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, the, I like some of Sofia Coppola's work quite a bit. I loved Lost in Translation, Marie Antoinette, etc., but she has a kind of too too cool for school uh, uh, aesthetic that I think is, is mars this movie because you don't really everything that you find out in this movie you already can either guess or you already knew you know uh, Priscilla was fourteen when uh, she met Elvis who was twenty four stationed in Germany uh, in the army and um, you know so he kind of woos her ultimately you know she moves into Graceland. He's uh, screwing around, and, and, you know, she has this big black bouffant, and then she has a, she goes through a lot of hair-style hair changes. Uh, but emotionally, I don't see that there was a whole lot of change in this film from her. She, she's a kind of, you know, dewy, uh, you know, virginal 14-year-old who's starstruck. Um, and then as, as life goes on, she's still kind of that person, which would be interesting if that would seem to be the point of the movie, but it just seems like it's a negligent piece of dramaturgy. Uh, the, the guy who plays Elvis, Jacob Elordi, is, is, is pretty good, uh, given how many Elvises we've seen lately. Um, and Kaylee Spaney is good, you know, to the extent that she's able to 
have a character arc, but there isn't much of a character arc there. So I think the film ultimately sort of drifts away from me. It's, it's sort of an aesthetic object rather than a real biopic or any kind of deep dive into what that marriage is really like. Sofia Coppola's film Priscilla is rated R. It's at AMC's The Grove and the AMC Century City 15, then opens wider next Friday, November 3rd. The documentary Yellow Door 90s Lo-Fi Film Club takes us to the 90s in South Korea. Korea and uh, this uh, way that so many people became fans of terrific film. The movie is directed by Lee Hyuk Ray. Tim, what'd you think? Oh, this is a very, very good film. Very educational. Very, very bright. Boon Jun Ho, of course, from Parasite and 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 uh, and many films of of recent years that we know, is at the center of all of this. In nineteen in nineteen ninety three, thirty years ago, he was a young film student in South Korea. There was this explosion of film clubs uh, on the heels of many film movements around the world, the L.A. Rebellion being one, and some of the success of some young films, Spike Lee and, and, and Quentin Tarantino and others, that really just insinuated itself. And so you had all of these young film students, including Boone, Bong, and, and what they are doing is looking at the world of cinema and recording it in ways that, I don't know, I can't think of who, what filmmaker, maybe Richard Linklater or somebody like that might have been doing at that same period. And they would watch these films and they would get them on VHS and they would literally transcribe them into uh, Korean. Uh, somebody, whoever spoke English would sit and just transcribe them word by word. Sometimes they would draw the frames out. It was, it, it was a film, they gave themselves a film education, a world cinema education through these film clubs. They called it uh, Yellow Door because the door to this little uh, place where they would do these things on VHS, I just loved it, they had these VHS yeah. steps, uh, was this big giant yellow door. Uh, whenever they would have to dub movies, they had to dub them back then in real time which means that they watched these movies over and over and over and, 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 and had a, an absolutely uh, encyclopedic knowledge of every frame of these films. And they talk about it that way in this doc. You, you, you know that scene and, and then whatever movie it is, and then they describe the scene. And then they cut to clips, and they're describing the scene of this movie that's 50 years old that they watched 30 years ago frame by frame. Wow. That's the way. So it's really, really a fascinating thing. Oh, it sounds great. Yellow Door 90s Lo-Fi Film Club is streaming on Netflix, uh, the film in Korean with English subtitles. Uh, the documentary To Kill a Tiger uh, shares the story of a farmer in India and uh, the huge fight in which he demands justice for her, his 13-year-old daughter who was the victim of a brutal gang rape. Peter, what did you think of the documentary To Kill a Tiger? It's a powerful movie, uh, obviously a powerful subject. Um, the what What was galvanizing about this movie is that the the father um, goes to the police. The police do round up these three guys who gang-raped his 13-year-old daughter. Uh, but the villagers themselves, the community that he lives in, uh, is very much against him bringing up these charges. They think it should be done internally or, as is often done in these cases, unfortunately, the, 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 uh, the rape victim marries one of the rapists you know, in order to, to kind of you know, cleanse herself. Uh, of of the taint, uh, it's it's all really abhorrent, and um, but he persists in doing this, even though it's it's very dangerous for him and his family to put him put himself and his family in this position. But he uh, he does it, and and um, so you know you see a lot of the villagers themselves, including a lot of the women in the village, 
who are against the father trying to to uh, to rectify this 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 horror. Um, so to me, that was what was you know doubly shocking about this whole subject. Uh, I think the the way it wraps up, you know, that after the uh, the trial is resolved, that um, it, it wraps up a little too quickly, and I think maybe a little bit too optimistically. Uh, but uh, in terms of following this case along, you, you know, I think it's it's a really powerful film. Quick thought on To Kill a Tiger, Tim. This is a very well-made film, too. It's a good-looking film. Dev Patel and Mindy Kaling are executive producers of this film. And I, and I believe in my bones that those two very important figures of stature are the reason why this film was able to be made. When they're sitting in some of those offices talking to those police persons and, and, and people are trying to explain what they're doing, I think the stature of these two very important executive producers are the reasons why they were able to get both access and to perhaps move these people in certain directions. So uh, celebrity is a heck of a thing, and it, and it came to bear here. Nisha uh, Pahuja is the director of the documentary To Kill a Tiger is unrated in Hindi with English subtitles. You can see it at Lemley's Royal in West L.A. and Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. The Spanish uh, horror film Sister Death uh, is uh, a film, as I said, uh, set in Spain, supernatural film, uh, directed by Paco Plaza, starring Aria Bedmar, Almudena Amor, and Maru Valdivelso. Uh, The film uh, is uh, streaming on Netflix. Tim, what did you think of Sister Death? This is actually pretty good. Paco is the director of the REC films, REC films. There are like three of them from the middle of the 2000s. If you've been watching his films for years, you you could always see that he's been influenced by Guillermo del Toro. This film is the most direct sort of suggestion of that influence, particularly when it begins in 1939 during the Spanish Civil War. We have this little girl who has experienced this immaculate sort of situation. uh, and uh, a few years later, she is now a novice at the same convent where she had that experience. There's a nun at this convent who remembers her from back then. Didn't believe her then, don't believe her now. Uh, and I, all of that is going to come to bear in this film. That is a supernatural film. And there is something going on in this film, and it's and, and, and it's, it's shaped in very much this, uh, the way Guillermo del Toro shaped those films. Is it about the supernatural thing? Yes. What's it really about? War. Uh, injustice, uh, uh, cruelty, uh, but in the context of the supernatural thing. Hermana Muerte, or Sister Death, the film from Spain, Paco Plaza directed. It's in Spanish with English subtitles, uh, unrated, and again, it's streaming on Netflix. Waikiki, a drama written and directed by Christopher uh, Kahunahana. The film stars Daniel Zalaponi. Peter, what did you think of Waikiki? It's pretty uneven. I did admire the fact that although it's called Waikiki and is set there, uh, this is the the, the least uh, touristy looking movie you'll ever see set in Waikiki. It's sort of like Repo Man, you know, was set in L.A. and yeah, it's like yeah. nothing in that movie that looks attractive at all. Um, and uh, it, it it's a pretty uneven movie in a lot of ways. But um, the, the the lead actress Danielle Zalopani. Uh, she plays a hula dancer who also has moonlights and several other jobs, including a school teacher. She has an abusive boyfriend. Uh, she um, uh, hits a homeless man in her van, and they end up sort of bonding. Uh, it's 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 a very you know vague movie in a lot of ways, uh, but she's she's extraordinary, and I think uh, really someone to watch. The film is Waikiki. 
the film is unrated, and you can see it at Lemley's NoHo in North Hollywood. Uh, the horror thriller Suitable Flesh, starring Heather Graham, Judah Lewis, and Bruce Davison, Joe Lynch, the director, Tim. Yeah, loose, loose Lovecraft adaptation here uh, about soul jumping. Uh, Heather Graham, Jonathan Sashi, a few, a few notables in this film. Bruce Davidson. This is what's good about this film. All of those people can act. This material, not very strong. These actors doing what they can with it and actually getting you to a pretty creepy place. Based on Lovecraft's The Thing on the Doorstep, uh, Suitable Flesh is at the Alamo Draft House in downtown Los Angeles, also available for on-demand viewing. Stay tuned, because coming up next, we're going to be talking with the director of the brand-new film, The Holdovers, Alexander Payne, will be with us in studio to talk about his new film set in a New England boarding school with the teacher and the student who were left behind over the holidays, nowhere else to go, and a lot of friction between the two of them. We'll talk about the genesis of the story, of the setting, and uh, about Payne's thoughts about what he's depicting on screen. Our critics were big fans of the film, as am I. We'll talk with Alexander Payne. When we come back, it's Film Week on L.A. A 89.3 reminder, you can hear the entire hour whenever you want to on your time at LAist.com. The LAist Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com sweeps. 